Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Okay, everyone, I know I say some things on the Monday podcast that may seem a little uh, hostile towards you wonderful Monday-only listeners. It's just I'm so bloody passionate about independent member-dead broadcasting. I sometimes let it cloud my appreciation of everyone who listens to the show, members and non-members alike. We do love you guys too, and that's why today we're bringing you a very special bonus podcast from the World Service. I'm not going to go on too much about it just now because you're about to hear my introduction as it went out last Friday. Just to say that I think it's the sort of thing we feel everybody should hear, if possible. Justine McCarthy and Maureen O'Sullivan both spoke brilliantly in telling the story of George Gibney and reacting to the new developments that have resulted in renewed calls for his extradition from the US to Ireland. So here you go. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the final Second Captain's Podcast of the week and thank you as always for your continued support on the World Service. Just thought I'd try the customary Friday thank you straight off the bat. Get everyone on side from the off. Hi Ken, hi Karen. Hi Hello there. You? Hope you're happy enough with my tactic there. Now usually the three of us would blather on about some nonsense at the top of the show but I think we'll save all that until after our topic today. It's important I think just to get straight into this one and we can talk again afterwards because we have spent a good bit of time in the last couple of weeks covering the extraordinary events in Michigan where the victims of Larry Nasser showed a huge amount of strength and seemed to derive a lot of solace from facing down their abuser in court. It's the sort of closure that has long been denied to the alleged victims of George Gibney, the ex-Ireland swimming coach. It's almost 25 years since Gibney was charged with 27 counts of indecent assault and carnal knowledge of young swimmers. Those charges were later quashed. Gibney moved to America and he's remained there ever since. But new information has emerged that has resulted in a fresh push for justice. It's a push being led by Maureen O'Sullivan, TD, who will join us shortly. In studio is Justine McCarthy of the Sunday Times and author of Deep Deception, Ireland's Swimming Scandals. Justine, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I think this is one of those ones where you, you have to start from the start to a certain extent. Can you just remind people who George Gibney was and how big a figure he was in Irish sport. George Gibney was the national uh, swimming coach and he was the Olympic swimming coach as well. 
that is to understate his importance in uh, Irish society at the time. He was an inveterate networker. He was absolutely brilliant at making contacts with influential people like politicians and business people. So he got himself into uh, very powerful places. He got himself appointed to uh, state bodies, for instance. Um, He would have trained uh, sons and daughters of uh, very well-known, very powerful people in Irish society in the 1970s. He founded Trojan Swimming Club in New Park uh, Comprehensive School in Black Rock. And um, I suppose his most famous uh, swimming pupil would have been Gary O'Toole, who was the European silver medalist. Um, it all fell apart for uh, George. It started to fall apart for George Gibney uh, when uh, his contemporary Derry O'Rourke was the subject of complaints to guards about uh, the sexual abuse of young swimmers. And within a very short space of time, there were complaints made about uh, George Gibney as well. Um, in very large part, thanks to uh, Chalky White, who was a, a Liffey uh, uh, swimming champion. Um, uh, Chalky White had confided in Gary O'Toole um, on a flight to Australia. Um, I think it was in January 1991 for the World uh, Swimming Championships that um, George Gibney had started to seriously sexually abuse him from the age of 11 and it went on for a number of years. And Gary made an undertaking on that flight that as soon as he got the opportunity, he was going to do something about this. Um, uh, Chalky had told other people as well, officials of the what was then uh, Swim Ireland, which was the, the, the sports governing body, and uh, they did nothing about it. One of those people was Frank McCann, who was the Leinster uh, president of swim, uh, sorry, the Irish Amateur Swimming Association, as it was called then, became, became Swim Ireland. Ireland. Um, Frank McCann then, as many people will know, went on to be convicted of the murder of his wife and his uh, foster child uh, by arson in their home in Rathfarnham. So, I mean, it it is an absolute incredible litany of uh, child abuse in swimming. But the thing about George Gibney is that he was such, I suppose, an iconic figure in the sport. People really admired him. You've mentioned a couple of the people who have served time who did go to jail, but Gibney is not one of those. Yes. He, what, he, what, what happened with his case? He was charged um, on 27 counts of um, indecent assault and the unlawful carnal knowledge of uh, young swimmers. Mm. And he took a case, an, an appeal to the Supreme Court, which sent it back to the High Court, and the High Court ruled that he could not get a fair trial on the grounds that so much time had elapsed since the earliest of the alleged uh, abuse incidents. I believe Derry O'Rourke tried a similar type of defence, is, is that correct? He did, yes, you're and are, right. Are there any questions to be answered as to why it did not work for Derry O'Rourke and why Gibney was able to avail of it? 
I think because O'Rourke's prosecution came after Gibney's and okay. once these cases started coming into the court system, there was a sort of rapid catching up with uh, interpreting the law um, because you had a lot of the uh, sexual abuse of children uh, within the Catholic Church. And actually at the time that Derry O'Rourke's case was in the courts, Father Ivan Payne, who would have been one of the most notorious mm. abusive priests, his case was in another courtroom in, in the building at the time. And there was also a ruling, as far as I remember, in this area. So, you know, it, it might have been a matter of another year if, if Gibney had been charged maybe a year later. It's like the, the throw of the dice. Um, the, the survivors of abuse by Gibney were very unlucky because of that. it was the very early stages of child sexual abuse cases being prosecuted in the Irish jurisdiction. And uh, he soon left Ireland. He went first to Scotland uh, and got work with uh, Wallander Swimming Club. And when that club was informed of his background, um, he then travelled to America and he has been there ever since. Can you give us a sense, Justine, of the the impact that this alleged abuse has had on some of the victims? Because you've dealt with these people and, you know, in some ways we're talking about stuff that happened 20, 30, uh, the crimes go right back to, the alleged crimes go back to the 1960s. But the effects of them are still being felt by these people. It's It's not, it's not some sort of abstract notion of something that happened many years ago. It's actually real lives that are still affected here. It's very hard to explain how devastating the injury is from this crime. And I think when there is a failure uh, of the state to vindicate the rights of the victims, it compounds that injury. After Gibney left Ireland. There was another guard investigation on foot of new complaints um, made to the guards. I believe the guards actually did a very good job in that investigation. But the decision was that no application would be made to have Gibney extradited back to Ireland. Um, one of uh, the, the swimmer, I believe, to have been his last victim when he was uh, the national coach in Ireland. Um, she has suffered appallingly. She has attempted to end her life numerous times. She has repeatedly self-harmed over the last 20 years, as long as I've known her. Most of the time I have known her, she has been in psychiatric hospitals. She has been in lock-up wards. Uh, I remember she rang me one day at work and while she was on the phone, she escaped from the psychiatric hospital she was in and she was in a very bad state on the phone and she ended up taking a bus and we lost telephone contact and that evening she was found in the toilets of a shopping centre in Dublin where she had slit her wrists. Um, that young woman is absolutely, well, she's, I suppose, not a young woman. I think of her as young now because yeah. she was 17 at the time that Gibney allegedly raped her. Um, her life froze on that day and it has never started again. And it's very hard to see what future she is going to have. 
other victims of George Gibney have suffered as well. Chalky White no longer even lives in Ireland. Um, people have died because of what happened. People have... Um, their lives have been completely upended and they're the direct victims. Their families have been very badly affected by it. You know, this is this is a crime that creates ripples that go out and out and they go far out into society. And, you know, this that's an aspect of it that we don't think about either. Maureen O'Sullivan, TD, has been listening to Justine here. Maureen, great to talk to you on the programme. Is this what it's about for you to give some of these a lot of this damage can't be undone mm -hmm. but to give these people at least a shot at getting some sort of justice here exactly and you know even though i know everything that justine said just listening to it outlined in the way she did there i mean it just has such a chilling effect when you realize that what this man did and the devastation that he has caused in so many lives my um i also worry when i bring it up and I've had it twice now at Leaders, um, once with Enda Kenny and once uh, was at the Tarnish with Simon Coveney, that you're bringing this all up again and you're raising expectations of people who are his victims. And I just feel for them that each time they think something might happen in terms of them getting justice, then it doesn't go any further. Um, so that's how the involvement of um, with America has come about. And a, a man called Irvin Muchnik, who has been doing such Trojan work, looking for freedom of information as to how George Gibney has been allowed stay in America for so long um, and I've been in touch with him and Justine has as well so it's from him that he'd asked me to contact some female congresswomen and senators in the states because of what's going on there now at the moment and I don't know listening to those women the gymnastics women mm. the victims and the way in which they speak now because they could confront their abuser um, and the strength that they got from that but that's something that George Gibney's victims have never had they've never had you know, any justice at all. And the longer it goes on, you know, the, the more difficult it is for them to get justice. I'm just hoping that because of what has been discovered in America and that whole scene now in America, that there will be a conversation between the officials here and in America, particularly in Florida, where the alleged rape uh, took place, um, with a view to extraditing him. That's what you want. Is that what you're asking of those American politicians, that they set the groundwork for him to be extradited? Yes. Now, when I brought up the question first with um, Enda Kenny, I did meet officials from the detective unit involved and also with the Department of Justice. And one of the points they were making was that they needed fresh evidence. And each time I speak on this, or people, anybody writes about it, it is that if there are other victims of George Gibney who are in a different space in their lives now where they could come forward, it would be, it would, that would be, really, really would contribute to getting his extradition. Well, the new information that has come from, as Maureen mentions, Justine, yes. Ir Irvin Muchnick, the American journalist, he, one of the key points that he seems to have managed, now he's only gotten, he had brought a freedom of information case that was contested by Homeland Security in the US. Long story short, he got a heavily redacted uh, batch of um, documents the key takeaway seems to be that Gibney actually applied just in, in 2010 for citizenship, for American citizenship. He was refused citizenship. It seems as though he may have omitted his, his the fact that he had been uh, charged with crimes in Ireland. So he wasn't given citizenship and yet he there was no mention of the idea that he might actually 
that he shouldn't be in the country. Is that right? That's right. There's a very strong implication in, in remarks that the judge made um, that he did not uh, fess up to the fact that he had faced charge, charges in another uh, jurisdiction. The, the problem is that the, the documents, are, the, the most interesting parts of the documents are redacted. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're having to put two and two together to reach some conclusions. But what is also clear from the documents is that he got his visa uh, to go to America just months before he was charged. Um, and when you think how long an investigation would take, uh, especially an investigation involving 27 very serious counts of crimes against children, how long that would have taken. He he must have known, you know, that um, the time, his time was up here. He, he had to go. Um, I think there are huge questions to be answered about why the American, whatever about the Irish authorities not seeking his extradition for that second investigation by the guards here. Why did the Americans not deport him Mm. once they found out that he had withheld um, important facts from his uh, application? We also need to know who gave him character references to uh, get into America, to get jobs and, uh, you know, to be allowed to stay there for so long. Maureen, you have contacted American politicians before about this and I understand there wasn't a huge appetite back then. Is there more of an appetite now, do you think? No, no, there wasn't. We're we're just hoping um, that in the current um, climate where there are so many cases coming, people coming forward about abuse in whether it's gymnastics or, and there are questions over American swimming as well and other sports and also about the authorities knowing people in these organisations who knew what was going on and yet did nothing about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's in that sort of climate where there's a space today, there's a belief today, there's a support today for people to come forward that they would look at George Gibney and how he has been facilitated to stay in America for so long. I mean, I just had the opportunity to watch the RTE documentary that they did in 2006. Mm. And again, you know, they followed him to the state and it's just, it's just again, chilling. Um, you know, the state, the powers that be have failed George Gibney's victims so, so badly. And, you know, I, I read Justine's book and that, that chapter, that section where the Gardaí were so sure that second investigation that they would have him and the, the victims were living in hope that it was going to happen and then those hopes were dashed again. I mean, this has just gone on far too long. Have you pointed out to the US politicians that this person may have omitted information on his, his US citizenship file? Are you asking him to be sent back yes. to Ireland on that basis. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, I, I have just in front of me here that the release record showed that he had lied on it regarding what had happened in Ireland, yet the US government does not see this as grounds to remove him from America. So if that doesn't bring about some reaction, action, yeah. I would be extremely disappointed. What about here in Ireland? You mentioned that you raised the issue with Simon Coveney. This is only yeah. in December yeah. in, the, in the doll. What did you ask mm-hmm. of him and what was the response? It was again to, you know, to, to have that conversation again um, in light of the court hearing and the settlement with Irvin Muchnick that the appropriate officials in both our jurisdiction and in America would have a conversation to see how justice can be achieved for George Gibney's victims. Is there, and yeah. um, he did say that he would look at this if there were, you know, the new new evidence. Or, um, so I would like to go back to the the, the, te- the detective unit here in Ireland, also in, in, in Dublin, um, and see what if they will um, have a conversation also. 
You have been down this road before. You, you did bring it mm-hmm. up with Enda Kenny. I believe a Garda, some sort of a Garda inquiry came out of that or, or there was some sort of a, an investigation yeah. set in yeah. motion? It, it, it did, yes. And, and I mean, the lady whom um, Justine was speaking about, she was in a, a place in her life at that stage where she was able to come in and, and talk through everything. But again, you know, it caused such devastation for her that um, it just wasn't possible to, to go further with that at that stage. And again, you know, you're asking about the effect mm. on his victims. I mean, that is, it's, I don't have the words to describe, you know, what it has done to her and her family. It's just the point Maureen made about how these uh, victims of George Gibney have never had any vindication and how that has added to their suffering. I just recall a scene in the uh, four courts in Dublin when Derry O'Rourke, the other uh, national and Olympic coach, was convicted and at his sentencing hearing, some of the survivors of abuse were lined up ready to give uh, to get into the witness box and to tell the judge about the effect that his crimes had had on them and their lives. And when the first uh, woman got into the witness box, the judge in, I think, what he thought was an avuncular sort of attitude but which was utterly bungling and lacking in in understanding, told her not to be upsetting herself and to leave the witness box and, you know, get on with her life and everything would be fine. And in fact, he he actually recommended that she go swimming to take her mind off it. And the women were amazing and they insisted to the judge that they were going to have their say and one by one they got into the witness box and it was really harrowing to listen to them and some of them, their husbands and their partners were in the the back of the courtroom and in tears. But I remember the scene then at the end when the courtroom emptied and these women stood at the window and they watched what we call the paddy wagon with Derry O'Rourke heading off to prison and the sheer relief. You could see it lifting off them and the idea that George Gibney's victims have never had that is really, it, it is a, it's a horrible thing to think about. That's such a powerful description and you talk more about the gymnasts. It was amazing to watch them. A lot of them weren't even, some of them weren't even planning to speak. They, they watched events unfold and they thought, I actually have to get in there as well. I have to say my piece and it did seem to, make some sort of a difference. I'm just wondering, is there a reluctance to find out too much? Have you sensed that at all, either here or in the US? Is there any sort of reluctance? Are, are there uncomfortable questions that might be raised that that maybe are is stymieing any sort of real political will to get this looked at? Mm, yeah, well, I, we're, we're, we're so conscious of, you know, dotting all the dots and all the, the crossing of the T's, etc. We, we can be too politically correct sometimes and we forget the human the human person at the heart of all of this. And I think there has, there certainly is an element. I mean, I just cannot get my head around the fact that back in those days, that somebody with 27 allegations of indecent carnal knowledge of, of children, young people, could just walk out of this country. I mean, to me, that is a, it's, a, it's really just a disgrace on our system, on the powers that be, on the judiciary, on the DPP, you know, on so many people. And it's just trying to right that wrong now. And it's still proving difficult. But, you know, you just have to hope that um, that the conversation will take place um, and that there can be some justice. Absolutely. Maureen O'Sullivan, listen, we wish you well with that. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's incredible, Justine, to watch the this footage from primetime 2006 when Gibney's doorstepped in the US in Napa Valley was at the time, working in some fancy plush hotel over there. 
this guy is still in the US, he's still doing whatever he's doing over there. Have there been attempts to extradite him that have gone anywhere, as far as you know? How much has happened between that initial, um, the initial trial in 1993 and where we are now, nearly 25 years later? Well, he, he has remained untouched largely uh, since he arrived in America. He went to Colorado, uh, to Denver early on. He got a job with a swimming club there. Um, in just in recent years, we were able to establish that there was a complaint made by a young swimmer in that club against him. Um, and that's incredible. You know, here is a man who left one jurisdiction after being charged with raping children. He arrives in another jurisdiction. There's a complaint made by an underage swimmer. And he's still scot-free. I mean, he went on to California. He went on to Florida. There was no trouble finding him. Um, More than a decade ago, now when I worked in the Sunday Tribune, we hired a private investigator in San Francisco to find him. And he'd found him within 24 hours. You know, the good thing about America is uh, it's a far more transparent place than here. Um, you have to be suspicious about what's redacted from those documents that were released by the Department of Homeland Security to Irv Muchnik. Um, you wonder, what is it that is being kept secret? What is this information that is so sensitive that reaches right across the Atlantic Ocean? Um, and I think back to when Gibney was here and he befriended Uh, politicians, government ministers. He was in and out of Leinster House. He was on the, um, was it the Dublin 800 uh, uh, anniversary committee? He was on that committee. He was on uh, Rockta's sports bodies. Uh, So were there politicians who were giving him character references to make his new life in America? When he settled in Florida, he became a fully paid up member, or perhaps he was already, but he he was an active member of the Knights of Columbanus in Florida. And there there are pictures on the Internet of him in the Knights of Columbanus regalia. Do we know where he is now? Uh, I believe he's still in the Florida area, but he keeps moving around. There seem to be... After the charges were dropped, the, there's been a lot of good journalism. You've done a lot of the good journalism around this, Justine, but there seems to have been, the story was has been kept alive by the Sunday Tribune, I think, for a long time, back back in the day. Uh, it just seems like, as the years have gone on, there are a small number of people who are keeping this alive to a certain extent. Is that is that a fair to say? As opposed to any sort of great big movements to... Get this man home. It, I have to say, Johnny Waterson in the Irish Times is an absolute hero <laughs> in this regard. When he worked in the Sunday Tribune, uh, he and the editor at the time uh, they named Gibney for the first time. They got legal advice from a man who went on to become a giant of the Supreme Court, Adrian Hardiman, whose uh, advice to them was, this is really dangerous if you name this man. To call somebody a child rapist is as bad, if not worse, than calling them a murderer. But they got the affidavits uh, from a number of the uh, swimmers. They had everything nailed down and they were 
you know, able to run the story. And that was a real turning point. And uh, I think the editor, I'm sorry, I just off the top of my head can't remember who the editor was at the time. And and Johnny definitely deserved credit for that. But like Maureen was saying as well, you do worry that, you know, if if your zeal to try and get justice for the survivors might actually be causing them damage as well. Does there come a time when it's better to say, look, it's over, let them move on with their lives? Is there an answer to that question? I think it depends. It depends on the individual survivor. It, it's different for everybody. I know one, for instance, who has decided that it's better never to believe again that there might be justice. Don't get your hopes up. Exactly. Not to be too flippant about it, but that's, that's exactly. basically what it is. Yeah, there have been too many false dawns for them. Is there any hope that the context, in the context of the gymnastics that we've talked about, that the Me Too movement what's been going on in, in the last year or so that maybe that provides more of an impetus in, in a case like this? Is it completely, is it just an individual case that's divorced from maybe a wider context around it? I'd like to think it's creating a climate mm. that would make people feel, you know, it's time that something was done about these people. But I I don't think so. I think that the Me Too campaign has gone off on a a different track. It's not really about, it's not about the rape of children by powerful people. It's about, it's more about uh, discrimination against uh, women in the main by powerful bosses. Right, yeah. It sounds like you're not totally hopeful that much is going to come of the the latest developments. Um. I think where there's life, there's hope. Where there's life, there's hope. But this has just gone on so long. Um, People are getting older, you know, and uh, I think some people lose, they lose heart. Listen, Justine McCarthy, it's been great having you in. Thanks so much for taking the time to come in. Pleasure. That might be, you know, aiming for utopia, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Oh, Richie, God. how are we feeling this morning? I just watched the goal set to the Titanic music and it really works. Oh, it really, really works. I think this is the most fun we're ever going to have in the podcast. I don't want to get into a war of words. I don't want to get into a war of words. It's good, isn't it? It's exactly. <laughs> you might remember Alan Ferns. Did you I remember Alan Ferns? Yeah, yeah. Red haired guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me yeah. and Alan Ferns had a fight once in the, in the Guinness <laughs> uh, to the dressing room. Oh, Motling Street there. Frazier and Ali and another incarnation when they were both young and I guess I was too. <laughs> Reverend Jesse Jackson, you're very welcome to the show. Well, the few people resist publicly, he uh, cast a light to lit up our pathway. 30 million watched the fight. What? Yes, that's true. Um, I was better known in Africa than I was in that's Ireland. unbelievable. He threw a hard trial, I think, at David Beckham <laughs> uh, in the... Is that right? No. So I had this weird thing where I was always the same weight as my age. Holy shit, Kevin Murphy! It's U.S. Murphy. Round of applause for U.S. Murphy. That's him. Kios, right upstairs at Kios. Kios, everyone, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> oh my oh, words! Oh. 
tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened, but talk us through it. Oh, just saying. Sig Thorson is the only. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. He was about 12. <laughs> Everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. A big thanks to Justine for coming in and painting such a vivid picture of the scars that George Gibney's alleged victims still have to bear. And to Maureen O'Sullivan, who sounds like she's doing her best to make something happen here. Hopefully some other politicians share her drive on this so that something can actually happen, something concrete. Justine talked about the woman who's tried to end her life numerous times as recently as 2015. She wrote an article about her. Justine wrote an article about her in the Sunday Times. I'm just going to quote a bit from the piece because there's another detail here that's it's, uh, it's grim beyond belief. Really, a former swimmer has told Gardaí the high-ranking official in the sport took her to England for an abortion after George Gibney raped her in 1991. The woman has told officers conducting a review of the Gibney case that the official warned her not to tell anybody about the abortion. She said Gibney raped her in a Florida hotel room during a training camp when she was 17. She discovered three months later that she was pregnant, and she told the official, who was a professional person and knew a professional person and knew Gibney. She said the official obtained air travel tickets and accompanied her to England. She believes she was taken to an abortion clinic in London and remembers the official giving her pills that made her groggy during the trip. The woman only told her parents about the abortion in recent years, although they knew about the rape. That last detail really got me that she's only been able to tell her parents about the abortion in recent years. That's what I meant when I asked about this being an ongoing thing as opposed to some sort of scandal that happened 20 or 30 years ago or, or whenever um, whenever it might have happened. And Ken, for those of our World Service members who haven't heard you talking about Gibney before, you were actually coached by him when you were a kid. Yeah, I did. Uh, I was coached by him a couple of times. Um, I wasn't in his club, Trojan. Mm. Um, I was in a different club, but uh, I was in the Leinster squad at one point um, to... So we were, oh, we'd go out to like the Trojan build the train and he'd be in charge of the training session. And he actually picked me out at one point to do a like demonstration 50 meters butterfly. I, th- I think I've probably talked about this here before and I'm not sure. But um, I think you have brought it up, but I'd imagine not everyone's heard it. So it's worth repeating, bearing in mind uh, what we're talking about here. So he, he, uh, he kind of picked me out to, to show, show everyone else how to do it, yeah. which was obviously one of the proudest moments of my sporting life. Oh, yeah. Uh, this guy who was, uh, you know, then the the top kind of coach. I mean, kind of a he was like a kind of small guy with a kind of owlish expression, sort of quite still. Like he was a, he was a strange kind of guy. He was one of these like quite calm seeming people, you know. Um, Did he exude this kind of power or authority? That well, he did, but but it was a lot. Of, a lot of it is by reputation. You know what I mean? You're sort of you're he's not told, going around telling you I'm powerful. It's just you know this is the guy who has the power. Well, you already know. Like yeah. this is George Gibney. He's like the top coach. You know, he coaches like the national team, and he's he's the top man. You know, you you kind of know that, and then you meet him, and then uh, I mean, 
I wouldn't have obviously suspected anything mm. about him. Um, you, I do remember his very kind of calm demeanor. Uh, and yeah, at, at that time, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was not long after that, I suppose, that, that this story then emerged and he, uh, you know, was obviously off the swimming scene and then shortly afterwards was fled to the United States. Yeah, if you're looking for an insight into how Gibney went about things, Gary O'Toole gave a great interview to Jared Gilroy on Off the Ball last week. He told Jer about a trip he took with Gibney when he was just 10 years of age to train in California. On that trip, I got terribly homesick, as one would uh, when you're out there for five weeks. And uh, I remember breaking down and crying in the, and, and just saying, I want to go home. And uh, he, he comforted me, as one would expect, uh, an adult person in that kind of a situation. Um, and then I went to bed and I, I, I felt fine. But later on that night, the, he snuck into my bedroom and uh, he sat on the edge of the bed and he said, oh... Are you feeling okay now? And I said, I'm feeling fine now. Uh, I brought you up this apple, and he put this apple on the on the on the sideboard. And then he said, Do you want me to? Uh, are you sure you're okay? Do you need any more comfort? And uh, I don't know what it was, uh, but immediate alarm bells went off, and I said, I'm fine. I, I think you should leave now. And he left. And that was the um, that was the in for him. That was the opportunity. The vulnerability was there. The he knew that I wanted to, I liked him praising me, uh, and he went his way. And, you know, the next day I was fine. Uh, he started counting down to coming home. And I didn't think it was in any way odd uh, that that had gone on. Um, um, and I didn't put two and two together until a long, long time later. I didn't realize that that's what was potentially, uh, that it could have resulted in, you know, a catastrophic uh, personal outcome for me from that. Well, thankfully, it didn't result in that sort of an outcome for Gary O'Toole, who, in fact, went on to do amazing work in exposing Gibney. But I think that's just a little bit of an insight into the tact, disturbing tactics involved in this kind of thing. Yeah, and, you know, it's like you, you sort of trust these people so much. Like, you just, you, it doesn't occur to you not to trust them. You know, if, if I'm speaking about if you're, like, that age, and then someone like this, it doesn't occur to you that, like, they might not that they might not have your best interests at heart. You it, know might, I mean? it might occur to children now more because parents might, might insist that it occurred to them well, more. But even then, well, you, you, you don't want, we've talked about this topic a good few times in the show, and you don't want kids not to be able to trust any adults. Well, I mean, I mean, that's obviously yeah, a terrible it's not as though, It's not as though that was not, that, that was never discussed, there was never an issue back mm. in, when I'm talking about like 1990, 91. You know what I mean? People, like, I mean, we kind of, were aware of this you know it was it was often to do with priests maybe i don't know maybe you kind of categorized it as a, as a priest thing but you know it was like uh it wasn't as though there was no awareness no, of you, 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 you had to be careful oh yeah and you were always told don't talk to strangers and this kind of thing but but this uh, isn't but a stranger this is like that's, a, that's my point this yes, is it's a, a top it's a, a top guy yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like the, the number one sort of figure of respect in yeah. the sport in the country you know what I mean? You'd you'd be delighted to be picked out for individual uh, attention by this guy. Murph, before we go, there's a lot of rugby to be watched over the weekend. Please mark my card. Okay, well, tonight, uh, Ireland are playing France in the under-20s. Trevor Brennan's young lad is playing in the front row for France in Bordeaux. That's at 8 o'clock. That, on the Bordeaux. Beast. Yeah. I don't know if that's his nickname, but it should be. He's a big dude. Uh, Saturday is 4.45. It's the Ireland-France game instead of France. Before that, Wales and Scotland is on at 2.15. Uh, and then on Sunday, or sorry, on Saturday night, it's Ireland's women against France. 
at 8pm and then Italy England on Sunday at 3pm okay sounds good thanks Murph thank you Owen thanks Ken enjoy the rugby over the weekend thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you on Monday take care That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.